Romans chapter 1, and if you have a Bible, you can certainly turn there. Uh, we're going to look at the first seven verses this morning. Romans chapter 1, we'll go, to, uh, we'll go till uh, the voice runs out. How's that? <coughs> Maybe a 10-minute sermon. Maybe a two-hour sermon. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Let's read this together, and we'll review our introduction from last week. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's introduction of the epistle of the book of Romans. He, many times in his epistles, um, usually would go through a greeting, who he's writing to, and usually when you, when you read Paul's epistles, when you get to that verse that says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end of his introduction. And the very next sentence begins the, the content of his material. Uh, we believe that every word of God is, is scripture, it's inspired, it's preserved. And so even the introduction is God's words. Uh, we learned that last week. And so last week we, we introduced our series to Romans uh, just with some technical things. This is the book uh, that really is the doctrinal treatise or the legal document of our salvation. Uh, it is the first of the church epistles in your Bible. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical books of the account of Jesus Christ. They transition us from the Old Testament to Christ's ministry. The book of Acts transitions us from the resurrected Christ into the church age. The book of Acts is a transitional book, and it transitions from Peter's ministry to Paul's ministry, from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And there's a, there's a lot of transition that happens in the book of Acts. And then we get to the book of Romans. Without the book of Acts, Romans does not make any sense in your Bible. And so God ordered it for that reason, even though it's the sixth epistle that Paul wrote. It is first in your church epistles in your New Testament. And last week we saw Paul's credentials. And he started in verse 1 saying that Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ. He was a servant. And in his other epistles, many times, he called himself a servant. Jesus Christ was the greatest servant that ever lived. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Christ had this mind in himself, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, made himself of no reputation. God in the flesh humbled himself and became a servant. And so we learned last week that Paul says he was a servant of Jesus Christ, and we, we came away with the conclusion that when we got saved, God saved us not to sit, but serve. God, God saved us so that we would have the same mind that Christ has, the same mind that Paul had, we are to have the same mind. And so the question on the table this morning as we begin is, friend, are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Okay, three of you are. Praise the Lord for that. We'll give the invitation now so we have time for my sermon this morning. Okay, guys, listen, if you're not a servant of Jesus Christ, I don't know what you are. 
If you don't serve Christ, you serve yourself. You serve your flesh. You serve your own lusts. You're serving somebody. Uh, the question is, is it Jesus Christ or not? And by the way, you flesh out that service in his local body, the church. And so if you serve in a body, then a, a body of believers, maybe this isn't your home church, but if you serve in Jesus' name, you're a servant of Christ, and that fleshes out in the local church. And by the way, if you don't, you aren't, according to the Word of God. Secondly, Paul says that he was called to be an apostle. An apostle is a sent one, one that, that goes uh, that's commissioned and sent out. Now, Paul was not one of the 12 apostles, but he was an apostle born out of due season, the Bible tells us. And uh, he, he considered himself the least of all the apostles. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because he persecuted the church of God, but yet God's grace on his life gifted him to be an apostle. And then thirdly, Paul said that he was separated unto the gospel of God. He was separated unto the gospel of God. And many times in salvation, we think that we should be separated from some things, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I remember my life as a lost man at the age of 21. There were all kinds of things that I needed to be separated from. When I got saved, I realized I needed to stop doing those things. And in our mind, biblical separation in our mind many times is separation from some things. And that's, that's a good principle. You ought to stop fornicating as a saved man and drinking and smoking and cussing and, and all those other things too and fill in the blank okay but but here's the bigger issue we ought to be separated from some things but we ought to be separated unto some things and the thing that we should be separated unto is the gospel of Jesus Christ in other words Paul said when I got saved I was separated I was separated unto the gospel of God in other words this is my mission this is my purpose. This is the reason for my existence now. And if we're born again, listen, I'm thankful if you begin that walk of separating yourself from some sinful, lustful things that, that defines you as a lost man or a lost woman. But the truth is, if we're not separated unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be morally right and still as wrong as your morally right lost neighbor. In other words, morality doesn't define your purpose. The gospel does as a child of God. We, we have to, as, as children of God, be separated unto the right thing. And the one thing that is the right thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I dare say in our culture of Christianity, we don't even have separation from some things right. There's, there's, a, there's a weak desire for holiness in the modern church. And there is a weaker desire to be separated into the gospel of Jesus Christ in the modern day church. That's why there's empty seats next to you. That's why there's empty seats next to us today. And, and we're going to hammer this thing of the gospel today because God said, I didn't just save you to be separated from things and so you can be morally right because of who you are in Christ. God said, I saved you so that you can become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that at his conversion Nobody had to convince Paul that he was saved for the gospel's sake. He got it. He understood it. And, and I dare say, in our culture of Christianity, it makes me wonder why we don't get it. It makes me wonder why we don't get it. Uh, Paul, hadn't, Paul didn't have to be convinced that his life now had purpose in the gospel. Um, Paul didn't live in Laodicea, and I understand that. Um, but he didn't need a convincing 
other than just knowing that he had met Jesus, to realize that's the purpose of my life now. And so in verse 2, the Bible says, Paul's commentary goes in your blank. So Paul says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which, and there's, there's kind of this parenthesis, right? Which, and the which is the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so in verse 2, Paul gives us some commentary about the gospel. He says that that gospel was promised afore, in, in other words, aforetime, by his prophets, and it was promised in the Holy Scriptures. And so here's a key principle you want to write down in your notes. God's promises concerning the gospel were given by inspiration to his prophets in the Old Testament. And listen, God's promises about the gospel were given to, the, to his prophets, and they are found in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, God's promises are found in his book. If you want the promises of God, and we're going to narrow this down to the gospel, but if you want the promises of God in your life, you've got to get in that book. <laughs> because the promises of God are, are given by inspiration, and they are recorded in his scripture. That's where they are. They're, his promises are not what you just make up in your mind. Well, here's what God promised me. Well, no. <laughs> that's not what God promised you. God promised you book, chapter, and verse. And that's where we get his promises from. And, and so that means that if we're going to cling to the promises of God in our life, we have to be in his word, church. We have to be in his word because that's where his promise. And he cannot lie. Can I get an amen? God can't lie. Aren't you thankful that God promised that Jesus Christ was going to come and die for our sin and that God kept his word? Aren't you thankful for that? Well, listen, every other promise that he makes, he's going to keep that promise too. You just need to have enough faith to believe it. And so let's look at what the Bible says about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3 and verse 18, over and over again, God confirms this. The Bible says, but those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets. What, what did he show by the mouth of all his prophets? That Christ should suffer. He had so what? Fulfilled. Aren't you thankful that God kept his word concerning Jesus? I mean, we're, we're Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that God fulfilled his promise, that he had spoken to his prophets, that Christ would suffer and die for our sin? Because, friends, if he didn't, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, the Bible says, To, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, Jesus' name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Is that you? Have you, have you received that for your life through faith? Listen, there's a lot of people that haven't even heard that message yet. Invite them to come. <laughs> or just go share the gospel with them before next Sunday. Share the gospel with them. Share the gospel with somebody. Listen, God's witnesses have proven over and over again that God can't lie. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I mean, listen, God had this thing figured out from the very beginning because he is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he knows the beginning from the end, and he promised that he was going to grant eternal life to us. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And listen, I just want to encourage you, Christian, you need to understand that God keeps his promises. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proof 
that God keeps his promises. You say, Jay, where are those passages? Well, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 23. I mean, listen, any of the messianic passages prove that God keeps his word. I mean, Isaiah 53 says this. Let me just read it, verses 1 through 12. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 is just one of the many promises that God promised concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Psalm 22, Psalm 23. So Paul just kind of goes on record right out of the chute and just say, hey, this gospel of God, God promised that, and God can't lie, and the proof of it is, is seen, and now that's the message that he preaches. And now pick it up in verse 3. Paul continues his introduction. He says, concerning. So Paul states his credentials. He gives the commentary of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ. And then in verse 3, Paul gives us his concern. What is this book of Romans concerning? What is it about? Verse 3 and 4 tell us, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul's epistle of Romans is concerning... God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is who it's about. This is what it's about. He is our Lord. And there's two, there's two key things that Paul communicates in this passage. Number one, he tells us that Jesus is the seed of David according to the flesh. He's the seed of David according to the flesh. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was 100% human. He's 100% man. There, there's a, there's a, a belief system called Gnosticism that does not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We're studying that on, on Wednesday night a little bit in our study of 1 John. Some people would say, well, Jesus was just a spirit. He was just a, a presence. He was just a ghost. He wasn't really a flesh and blood man. Uh, and yet, Paul, right out of the chute, and his gospel epistle of Romans, or excuse me, his, his epistle of Romans says that Jesus is the seed of David according to the flesh. In other words, he's 100% human. God prophesied that in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. This is, this is the, the curse after the fall of Adam and Eve because of sin, and when God is dealing out the punishment for, for man's rebellion against God, God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 gives a prophecy that the woman is going to have a seed, and her seed is going to bruise the serpent's head. In other words, there will be a seed according to the flesh. And Jesus Christ came, and he was born 
of a woman. He was born of a virgin. He was born of the seed of David. Psalm 132 and verse 11 tells us this. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, and he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. And, and he's not just talking about Solomon. Because Jesus Christ is of the seed of David. And God promised a, an eternal covenant with David that, that, that a king would, would soon come that would have an everlasting kingdom. And that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, you guys know this passage. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. So Jesus Christ was born in the flesh. He is of the seed of David. Uh, you guys ever read the genealogies in the gospel? There's a genealogy in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. There's a genealogy in Luke, chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3's genealogy traces Jesus' lineage from Mary all the way back to David, all the way back to Adam. <laughs> but it traces it from Mary all the way back to David. In Matthew's genealogy, it, it traces Joseph all the way back uh, to Abraham. He was not Joseph's son. He was Mary's son, but God the Father's son, right? God is his heavenly father. And so if you were to take the time to compare those two genealogies, you would see that, that Jesus Christ was born according to the flesh. He is the God-man. He's 100% man, and he's 100% God, and he had to be both. And if he, if he wasn't man, then God lied, and the prophecy is not true, and God cannot lie. So, so Paul writes that at, out of the chute, man, in the book of Romans. I just want you to know that Christ is of the seed of David according to the flesh, and then secondly, he says of Christ that he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so the second key is that Paul wants to communicate, not only is Jesus the seed of David, according to the flesh, but Jesus is the Son of God with power. He's the Son of God with power. And, and what is the power that, that Paul is talking about? It's the power of his resurrection. Are you guys awake this morning? I mean, listen. The power that, that proves that Jesus is God is the fact that he raised himself from the dead. Oh, which, by the way, we celebrate next week. Listen, that is the greatest proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest existence and proof that he is God because he rose from the dead. And by the way, it is the most fundamental of the fundamentals of our faith. And so Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved, for with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so the resurrection from the dead is the power that proves that God is, that Jesus is God, and God is Jesus, and, and they are the same. Uh, God gives us an interesting set of words, and, and, and as you study this thing of the resurrection, hopefully you've studied this, and uh, if you haven't, I would, I would encourage you to study the difference between the resurrection from the dead and the resurrection of the dead, because those are different words. And, and let me give you 1 Corinthians 15 very quickly. The chapter that deals primarily with the resurrection is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I just want you to pay attention. I tried to underline it to help you. 
The Bible says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, those are two different things. One was resurrected from the dead, but there's also a resurrection of the dead. What's, what's Paul saying? Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching then is our preaching vain and your faith also in vain. Stop right now. If Jesus Christ did not come out of that grave, what we're doing right now is vain. It's foolish. It's stupid. Go eat your lunch. It doesn't even matter. And I don't even know why you're here. But if he did rise from the grave, then preaching matters. If the resurrection is a finished, final, man, God did it. It's undeniable historically. God proved it. There were witnesses if he really did rise from the dead, well, then preaching matters. The preaching of the gospel matters. The preaching of God's word matters. It's not in vain, in other words. So, so Paul writes and he says, yay, we are found false witnesses of God. I mean, if he didn't, he didn't rise from the dead, we're false witnesses because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And you're yet in your sins. Without the resurrection, you're still in your sin. Then they which, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, those that have died, our family members, our loved ones, they said they're a Christian. Well, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't matter. They're perished. So everything centers on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything, everything matters because of the resurrection of Christ. That's the only thing that matters. And Paul says in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead, not of the dead, from the dead, and he's become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And so here's the point. When God says that Christ resurrected from the dead, it means that he resurrected of his own power. When you resurrect from the dead, it means you're doing it in your own power. When there's a resurrection of the dead, that means someone else is doing the resurrection. <laughs> Do you see the difference? And what that means is the resurrection of the dead is only possible because Christ is risen from the dead. And he has so you can be resurrected too. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be in Christ. And this eternal life that is but a vapor, as James says, that will last only 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 100, maybe you eke out 100. In the grand scheme of eternity, that's nothing. What matters is Christ. What matters is the resurrection from the dead that makes the resurrection of the dead possible for all of us. You know, this, this thing of the resurrection is powerful because the Bible tells us that all three members of the Trinity, all three members of the Godhead, are given credit with the resurrection. So let me give it to you real quick. God the Father is given credit for the resurrection. We saw that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If, that, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. And so God the Father was credited with the resurrection. Who did it? Well, God did it. But I also want you to see that God the Holy Spirit got credit for the resurrection. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says this, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, the same resurrection spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that's in you. It's the same spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, and it's the spirit of the resurrection. And listen, it's the spirit that seals you in Christ. He empowers you. He equips you. He gifts you. He convicts you. He teaches you. It's the same spirit of God. So there should be no weak Christians because you have the spirit of power to the point of resurrection that abides in you as a child of God. It's the same spirit. And then number three, I want you to know that God the Son himself gets credit for the resurrection because in John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, Jesus said himself, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Verse 18, then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou to us, seeing that thou doest those things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building. Man, it took us 46 years to build this temple. Now, they're thinking of the physical temple in Jerusalem, right? Uh, you're going to rear it up in three days? What are, you, what are you talking about? You're crazy, man. But he spake of the temple of his, of his body. When, therefore, he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture, the word which Jesus had said. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, again, Jesus promised, and he says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. Who killed Jesus? Did the Romans kill him? Sure, maybe. Did the Jews kill him? Sure, maybe. Did your sin kill him? Absolutely. But yet in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life. I lay it down. Why? That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, listen, to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I'm just telling you, there is power in the resurrection, and it proves the deity of Jesus Christ. It proves it. He is God. And, and, and that's Paul's concern. Paul says, I'm writing concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord who's the Son of God with power. That's what this epistle is all about. That's what anything is all about. And then, and then Paul goes on in verse 5 very quickly. Paul gives us his calling. So in the, midst of, in the midst of this clarification of the gospel and who Christ is and, and who, how, the, how that Christ is born of a woman but also 100% God and He's 100% man, he's 100% God, and the resurrection is the proof of his deity. Then Paul says, because of all of that, I have a calling on my life. And here it is, verse 5. By whom, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And so here's Paul's calling, and, and here's the things that God gave him because of Jesus Christ. Number one, he gave him grace. God, God's gospel is a gospel of grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, God gave us something we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve forgiveness. We didn't deserve salvation. 
We didn't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve his word. We don't deserve his Holy Spirit. We don't deserve his ministry. We don't deserve any of it. And yet God gave us grace. Grace only comes by Jesus Christ. John 1 and verse 17 says this, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Listen, and God loves us so much that he gave it to us in spite of us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. I mean, it's grace, grace, God's grace, man. I mean, that's what it is. It's unmerited favor. And, and so we have received grace through Jesus Christ. There's not a period after that. Paul says, by whom we have received grace, and there's not a comma after that. He says we've received grace and we've received apostleship. Okay, so the same Lord and the same God that gives us his grace is the same Lord and the same God that gives us the calling of apostleship. And, and I understand the differences in the spiritual gifts. I understand that. We've taught that diligently here for years. But I do want you to understand. You, you could read that and you say, well, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was his calling. And that's not my calling. And, and we've already determined that an apostle is one that's sent with a message, and, and specifically the message is the gospel. And you may be sitting here this morning, and, and lest you be wise in your own conceits and think to yourself, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He's an apostle. That's not my calling. That's not my giftedness. I'm excused from winning people to Christ and discipling them like Paul did. Lest you be wise in your own conceit, I would have you consider 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. Because Paul says in 1 Timothy, his epistle to his son in the faith, Timothy, in verse 16, he says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. In other words, friend, Paul is the pattern for the Christian life. Well, Paul was an apostle, and he had the apostolic gifts, and dispensationally, you don't understand. No, I understand all of that. And I also understand that there's a verse that tells us from God's inspired, preserved word that Paul is the pattern for anyone that's believed on Christ to life everlasting. In other words, you and I have received grace, and brothers and sisters, we've received apostleship. In other words, we need to be about the business of the gospel. We need to be about the business of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is the pattern for the New Testament believer that has received the grace of God. Now listen, if you're lost this morning, you can stop listening. Because Paul's not the pattern for you. But if you're born again this morning and you would say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, friend, you were commissioned... Because of God's grace, you were commissioned with apostleship. And you need to be about it. And so listen, I'm going to tell you something, and this is, I know where we are on time. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Because Paul's apostleship had proof. 
You know, how, you know how Paul proved he was an apostle? Number one, he preached the gospel. Number two, people got saved. Number three, people got discipled. In other words, there was a proof of his apostleship. There was evidence, there was fruit that was visible because of his calling and his walk in faith. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2 says this, If I be not an apostle unto others, and he's talking to the Corinthian church who were carnal, he says, look, if I'm not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, Corinthians. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye, you all, y'all, the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. In other words, the proof of his apostleship was that he won some people to Jesus Christ. We got a problem, man, in this church and just about every other church in this city. Because we're more interested in having church than we are preaching the gospel. We're more interested in having events and dinners and, and activities and things than going outside of these four walls and fulfilling our calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ to take the message of redemption, of resurrection power, to have victory over our sin outside of these four walls to a lost world. We have a problem because we are not walking in our calling. As a matter of fact, we sit on the grace and we forget there's a race. God gave us his grace for the race. Amen? And listen, we don't have much time. And I'm not going to go around the room and ask when the last time the gospel was presented out of each of our mouths individually. But the Holy Spirit of God would probably ask that question in our hearts. When is the last time the gospel of Jesus Christ came out of my mouth, out of my lips, whom God has called and commissioned and empowered to another human being that is lost in their sin and going straight to hell? Well, I invited him to church. I invited him to Egapalooza. And listen, you know at this church we'll preach the gospel. But you also know you have more influence over the people that you have influence with than I will or this church ever will. We have to open our mouth and walk in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just a little concerned. There ought to be a seal of our apostleship. And that's people that are born again. <clears throat> we do not well, church. We do not well. So I don't, I don't know what you signed up for in this Christianity thing. But I'll tell you what Jesus signed you up for. So your understanding of the gospel, again, man, listen, I remember being 21 years old and receiving the message of the grace of God. I remember that. And looking back, I'm thankful that someone had enough boldness and faith to open his mouth and share it with me. And I think we would all say that. Thank God for the preacher that preached it. Thank God for the person, my friend, that won me to Christ. Thank God for the spouse that won me to Christ. Thank God that somebody left a track where I could pick it up and read it. Thank God for the person that won me to Christ. We rest in the grace. 
and we forget about the race. And God says that we are called in the same calling of grace. We are called in apostleship. And he even says, man, we, we are called. And he, he's writing to these Romans, and he says, ye also are the called of Jesus Christ. You have the same calling. You, you're called too. What are you called into? You're called into the gospel. Romans chapter 8. And, and so this is the third thing, if you're, if you're filling your blanks, because I know you can't leave without your blanks. But if you look at the third thing, you know, the Bible says that, that, that we are the called. Once we've received his grace, we've received his apostleship, we are the called. And the called is not the elect. The called is not just a random group of people that God preordained to get saved. The elect are those that are in Christ. The called are those that are in Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called, that are, who are the called, the called according to his purpose. God, God saved you for a purpose, church. I'm just telling you, man, it, your salvation is not about you. I hate to bust your bubble, man, but I'm, I'm really good at that. Your salvation is not about you. 2 Thessalonians says that God had a purpose for your salvation, and it wasn't even you. It was his kingdom and his glory. That's the purpose of your salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this. Paul writes, and he says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom, not yours. He didn't call you into your kingdom. He called you into his kingdom. And by the way, he called you into his glory. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. The Bible says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. And by the way, if you're walking in unholiness, that is not the calling that God has on your life. It's a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Okay, well, I got another hour, but I don't have it, so look at verse 5. Let me give you, let me give you verse 5. Uh, we, we need to get to verse 7. You know, why did, why did God give us that calling? Why did God give us that grace, his apostleship? Why did he say you're the called of Jesus Christ? Why did he do that? Verse 5 says this. Here it is. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Here it is. Here it is. Here's why. For obedience to the faith among, what's the next two words? Okay, all nations for his name. Now, now listen, don't check out on me. I know you're hungry. I can hear your bellies grumbling. Listen, <laughs> you got to understand that grace and apostleship was given to us. We are called in Jesus Christ for obedience to the faith among all nations. So we're not even seven verses in the book of Romans and God puts his emphasis not on us, but on the nations. And I know you don't believe me, but I've heard sometimes you believe the Bible. So Romans chapter 16, I want to show you that, that, that God bookends the book of Romans in chapter 1 and in chapter 16. In the first seven verses, God says this calling and this apostleship is for the nation's sake. Well, when you get to Revelation, or excuse me, Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, as, as God is closing down the book of Romans, that same phrase shows up in chapter 16. 
He says in verse 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, listen, here it is, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. That's what we read in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. And so God bookends, you know what bookends are, right? You don't know what bookends are? Okay. Gosh, man. Let's say it like this. In chapter 1, the first chapter, in chapter 16, the last chapter, God wants you to know that the emphasis, the priority, the gospel, the purpose, your calling, your existence, your reason for breathing God's free air is to make known to all nations the gospel so they have the opportunity to obey the faith. That's it. That, that's your existence. That's your purpose. That's your calling. That's your giftedness. That's the reason you've received grace. That's the reason you've been commissioned with apostleship to make known to the nations the gospel of Jesus Christ so they have the opportunity to obey the faith. You know, a lot of people, when they go to the book of Romans, man, it's like, oh, yeah, this is the doctrinal treatise of our salvation. This is, man, this is the legal document of how we know we're saved and what God did. And listen, all that's true. But you better not miss what God said in chapter 1 and chapter 16. It's the gospel, not for you, but for the nations. It's for the nations. So... So this morning should give us some clarity because the very reason that we exist, church, is for his glory's sake. It, it's to make known to the nations the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that the circle of influence that you have in your life, whether it's your job, your family, your neighborhood, your community, your family, your ministry, God's given you his grace and he's given you apostleship to glorify Jesus' name, to preach the gospel, to tell lost man that they can be saved from the consequence of their sin. That's it. And to make disciples of those that believe. And then Paul closes in verse 5, and, or excuse me, in verse 7. I mean, Paul closes down his intro. That's why we had to take two weeks for this intro. It's, it's, it's a lot in seven verses, church. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you've experienced God's grace, you ought to have his peace. When, when you, uh, the peace of God can pass all understanding when you know Christ. And, and God gives you his grace and God gives you peace so that you can be about the ministry. So, I just want to plainly communicate to us this morning. Look, we all have busy lives. We all have different things, different circumstances, different scenarios that play out. Your life is completely different from mine, and mine is completely different from yours. But I want you to understand that the purpose as a child of God is the exact same. And so, and so whatever lot of life that you find yourself in, the purpose is to communicate the gospel 
to the nations. So that means, that means that this life is not about me. It's not about the American dream. It's not about, man, well, once I, I got to get a relationship or I got to get married or I got to get a job or I got to get a house and a car and, and 2.5 kids and a dog and no cats because nobody likes cats. I'm sorry. I just offended half, half of you. All the cat people will let you come to the altar first. That's, that's not life, church. That ain't life. And how much time do we invest in those things? Let's just be honest. And how much, do, how much time and effort and energy do we invest in the one thing that's going to matter for eternity? We do not well, church. Now, let me say this so I can speak to the other side of the coin. Just because we have a full room doesn't mean we've done our job. Okay? Now, we can put on a show and dancing clowns and fireworks and all that jazz and we can pack out a room and that doesn't mean we've done our job. Our job is to preach the gospel. And listen, will you beg God to use you to reach one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ? One. You don't have to fill this room up. But I think God would use you to reach one. And I think God will use me to reach one. And listen, if we'll reach one, we'll have enough faith to believe that God can use us. And maybe he'll let us reach another. Time's short, church. And, and, you know, the longer I've been in this thing, the longer I realize this is the most important thing. This is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And so we need to prayerfully consider these things and, and respond appropriately. Let's pray together.